Introduction I do not want to risk losing a fine chance to secure for ourselves a slice of this magnificent African cake. King Leopold II of Belgium King Leopold II of Belgium emerges from the pages of history as a curious character. He was a member of a privileged clique of European monarchs, bereft of power but rich, indulgent, and indolent. Leopold certainly availed himself of all the pleasures of court life, but he was also shrewd, astonishingly competent, and avaricious to an almost unimaginable degree. His initial interest in foreign real estate was imperial, insofar as he desired on behalf of Belgium the main accoutrements of a first-rate power, which were, of course, foreign estates and colonies. He was, however, unable to move the Belgian parliament to act in accordance, the conservative belief perhaps being that Belgium could not afford to compete on that level. Belgium was a small European nation, existing between major and, at times, belligerent powers, and as such, it quietly went about its business with the determination not to rock the European boat. Despairing of that avenue, Leopold next began to try and acquire a foreign colony on his own account. He sought at various times to buy a province of Argentina, to lease the Philippines from Spain, and to acquire from the French a quarter of Indochina. None of these schemes amounted to much, but then, abruptly, in 1877, an upstart explorer by the name of Henry Morton Stanley emerged from the mouth of the Congo River, proclaiming to the world that here lay the next great El Dorado. This, Leopold realized, was his opportunity. He held his breath as Stanley turned the capitals of Europe, and as one by one they politely declined his importuning, he allowed his own interests to be known. Once the fanfare of Stanley's celebrity had died down somewhat, and realizing that he was unlikely to succeed where he most hoped, he settled for the second-class option and accepted an invitation to visit Leopold at the Royal Palace Lakin. Here he was lavishly feted and entertained, until, in due course, Leopold made him an offer. If Stanley would return to the Congo and begin establishing on Leopold's behalf the necessary infrastructure to conduct trade, those being a railway line around the first rapids and thereafter river stations, and... This would establish Leopold's prima petition over the Congo, and for his efforts, Stanley would be amply rewarded. To this, Stanley agreed, and in due course he set off back to the Congo. This left Leopold with the ticklish diplomatic conundrum of securing international recognition. Certain features of Stanley's account had caught his attention, and one was the rampant proliferation of slavery on the upper reaches of the Congo, originating from the slave markets of Zanzibar, and supplying a thriving black market in slaves across the Arab world. This, he decided, would be his cause celebre. His opening move was simply to announce to the world his intention of forming an international organization to combat slavery in the Congo, which, in an age of abolition, was an extremely potent and shrewd maneuver. To satisfy the more mercantile interest of the ruling classes of Europe, he offered up the Congo River as an international free trade zone, and to capture the interest of the United States, he suggested the Congo as a destination to repatriate freeborn blacks and freed slaves. In combination, all of this represented an unstoppable momentum, and displaying enormous ability and a masterful grasp of diplomatic maneuver, Leopold was able to secure primary rights over the territory of the Congo River catchment, a portion of the globe more than three times the size of France. By any standards, this was a monumental coup, and by the time the other European powers woke up to precisely what was underway, it was too late to arrest the momentum. 